For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You know, if you've heard me for any real extended period of time, you've heard me refer to something called buzzard luck. That's where you can't kill nothing and nothing will die. Well, luck is a part of football, no question about that. And buzzard luck was a big part of of what we saw this Stanford football season. 2021 campaign is in the books, and that's what we're talking about here on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network, Monday, November 29th, 2021. Hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving weekend. I certainly did, and glad that you are here along for the ride with us. I am indeed Troy Clarity, 29 seasons of following Stanford football and in my eighth year of Pac-12 Network, play-by-play. And normally on a show, on an episode that comes right after a football game, we go into that game, we break it down from all sorts of different angles, as we usually do on the TreeCast. Well, for a lot of different reasons, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about what happened on the field on Saturday as Stanford lost to Notre Dame 45-14. to uh, We're instead going to talk about the future. And, and what's upcoming for Stanford football in the weeks and the months ahead. So you're certainly going to be hearing the voice of David Shaw sprinkled throughout much of this show. But uh, great to have you with us. Uh, thank you for subscribing to the show, rating the show, and reviewing the show, uh, enjoying the show, even though we haven't had too many enjoyable things to talk about since, oh, around the second week of October and um, I was actually not in the building on Saturday for the game between Stanford and Notre Dame I was actually actually in Berkeley of all places wrapping up my Pac-12 network fall play-by-play season watching Stanford pull off the sweep of Cal and calling that match on the Pac-12 network so I didn't see it I wasn't on the farm I wasn't there with my own eyes I went back on Saturday I checked on on Sunday morning and I, I watched the game And um, in all honesty, the only thing that surprised me was how often Notre Dame threw the ball. Nothing else surprised me about that result. Nothing. Nothing. So that loss dropped Stanford to 3-9 on the season, and that is the mark that this squad is, is going to carry with it into the history books. We'll give you three things you need to know about the Stanford-Notre Dame game in just a few moments. And and again, we're going to spend a lot of time going over some of the questions and some of the answers that may be out there for David Shaw and, and this program to go through in this upcoming offseason. It's not upcoming. It's here. It's here. No bowl game for Stanford right now. So right now they can turn all of their attentions to getting right for 2022. And, you know, I mean, it was nice to have have Andrew Luck in the building. Speaking of luck, (laughs) luck being a part of football and buzzard luck, uh, unfortunately, defining Stanford football in 2021. Andrew Luck, a cornerstone of the Cardinal and its history and its lore, 
was the honorary captain for the squad against Notre Dame. John Lynch, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, he was in the house as well as his son Jake was part of Senior Day. Lynch was also honored himself. So it was nice to see, nice to see those guys back in the building. And part of me kind of wonders what they were thinking as they're watching Saturday's game unfold. And again, we're not gonna we're not gonna spend a lot of time on the game itself. We'll keep it to the three things portion of the show, but we will spend a lot of time on what's ahead. As minutes after that game went final, David Shaw kind of turned his focus to the offseason. There's some things here that we've done extremely well in the past that we need to do better. There's some things we gotta tweak and change. Um, so we're not gonna be stagnant. And we're not going to rest on the things we did in the past. Um, we're going to get back to work, um, continue this recruiting process, which has gone extremely well, recruiting the right guys to the right place. And uh, got to get to the point where we take out the bumps in our road. And a lot of them are self-inflicted and not blaming anybody else. A lot of those are self-inflicted. Um, but this, this group coming back, could be really really good all right that sounds great i mean that's what shaw says now what's he gonna do three things you need to know about stanford notre dame in a moment but first a reminder that bet online is back and better than ever a new web interface for the rest of the nba season and more props odds and lines than ever before head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit just use the promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. Basketball, football, NHL, boxing, UFC, even your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. All right, let's hop to it. Three things you need to know on the result from Stanford and Notre Dame, beginning with number one. And while Notre Dame got out to a 24-0 halftime lead, more on that in a second, Stanford's offense went virtually nowhere. Stanford's first half drives, punt, 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 fumble, punt, punt, and a missed 59-yard field goal. That would have been good from 65 or more from Josh Cardi. Man, that was a boomer. None of Stanford's first five drives lasted more than four plays. And Tanner McKee's passing line at the half, six of nine for nine yards. Nine yards. In the best Ed Rooney voice. David Shaw on the offense's first half failures. We dropped three balls and missed two, missed two throws in the first half. It's about mine. You know, the guys the third down, third medium, played man-to-man cover one. We made some we made some throws that were good, and we missed some balls. Had Elijah one-on-one down the sideline. You know, we've seen all the plays that he's made. Couldn't quite bring it in. Um, I still say Michael Wilson's one of the best route runners in America. You know, he dropped two. Uh, we had a couple other opportunities where guys were open, and we missed the throws. So uh, it wasn't Notre Dame. Uh, it, it was us. Yeah, it's David Shaw, and, and that's that's a correct assessment, in my opinion, anyway. Right? He made Tanner McKee made the right reads, finding Elijah Higgins one on one, finding Michael Wilson one on one, but inaccurate throws, threw some lasers when maybe he should he should have shown some touch, and vice versa. Oh, by the way, it also didn't help that Isaiah Sanders' nifty touchdown pass to Ben Urosik 
off that fake reverse to Bryce Farrell. Nullified, was got nullified by that borderline block below the waist penalty on Austin Jones. Now, things got better in the second half. Unfortunately, the game was kind of out of hand by that point, but McKee in the second half rebounding quite nicely, 14 to 16 for 163 yards and a touchdown after halftime. But Stanford spent the first half stuck in neutral, and the competitive phase of that game was over fairly quickly. Let's move on to number And the defense didn't collapse like it did against Utah and Cal, but it certainly wasn't a night to remember on that side of the ball. It did better against the run. Kyron Williams, a very versatile back for Notre Dame, didn't really get loose. 19 carries, 74 yards. And Notre Dame as a team rushed for 169 yards, which, I mean, that's not great. It's not like, you know, not, not like we should start making like Stanford made like the, the 1976 Steelers or something like that, but it's still a marked improvement from what Stanford opponents have been rolling up on the card the past few weeks anyway. Shaw's thoughts on the defense this night? Did a much better job against the run tonight. Really did. And that was a point of emphasis. Um, Kyron's a really good back. He's a really good back. And to hold him to 3.9 yards a carry was impressive. Um... Mid some tackles in the past game. You know, it's been a bugaboo for us the entire year. Play well, play well, you know, with the missed tackle and to get a couple of big plays. Um, but, you know, emphasis was to, to slow down the running game. Did that well. Um, decent pressure on the quarterback. Uh, but, you know, did not defend the pass as well as we needed to. Yeah, about that pass defense, uh, Notre Dame threw it a lot more than I thought it would, as mentioned. And they targeted Caillou Blue Kelly early and often with success. Notre Dame quarterback Jack Cohn completing 18 of his first 22 passes for 198 yards. He ended up 26 of 35 for 345, two touchdowns and a pick. That was a nifty play by Jonathan McGill uh, for the interception that Cohn threw. But still... 510 yards total for Notre Dame. Fourth straight opponent to gain at least 475 yards of total offense on Stanford. Some individual plays here and there. A nice moment for the true freshman Aaron Armitage getting a third quarter sack. We're going to need to see a lot more of that going forward in that young man's Cardinal career. But not enough. Let's finish up three things with number three. The Stanford season ends at three and nine. Three and nine. And it also ends with a seven-game losing streak. Remember when we thought that the second half of the schedule would be the easier half? I remember those days. I somewhat look on them quite fondly. Fewest wins in the season and the longest losing streak for Stanford since 2006. Shaw's thoughts on going 3-9 and nine this year? Multiple games this year. We started fast but didn't get in the end zone. Multiple games this year, we had a chance to seal it at the end and didn't. So the record, we earned that record. Um, but when you really watch the games and watch them close, the distance between where we are, where we want to be, is not great. It's not a big difference. Looks like it on the scoreboard, absolutely. But really good football teams, you got to play well at the beginning and at the end. You got to start fast. You got to finish faster. And we didn't finish games. And those games that we didn't start well, we played well at the end, but not well enough to catch up to make up for what we did at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. He's not wrong, by the way. I mean, how much different would the season have looked if Stanford had gotten just one first down against Washington State? Or miraculously, gotten early touchdowns instead of kicking field goals in that game. 
or if they'd gotten one more first down against Washington, or if it had gone up 14-0 on Cal instead of staying in a scoreless tie before the Bears broke it open. I mean, heck, even though it's a stretch, how much different would things have been if Tanner McKee had started right out of the gate in week one? In some ways, the line between a bowl bid and three and nine for Stanford was a thin one in some ways. That being said, in a lot of other ways, the cars have a ways to go. Those are three things. Yeah, remember the hope that most folks seem to have about Stanford after the 2020 season? Stanford finishing 4-2, and two, that exhausting game at UCLA in the Rose Bowl to cap it off. The way Stanford won those four games, all on the road, all in succession, all under incredible circumstances. Given how that unfolded, a lot of folks were feeling pretty optimistic about 2021, and rightfully so, it seemed. I mean, heck, I was, uh, my hands raised on that one. Instead, three and nine. Three and nine. And it started reasonably well. I mean, I'll never, ever be mad about a win over USC, right? And, and that win over Oregon was, was mind-blowing. Almost as mind-blowing as the fact that that win would be Stanford's last win of the year. But that game at Arizona State played six days after that result against the Ducks. Set the tone, I thought, for the rest of the season. The offense making crucial mistakes in plus territory and the defense unable to prevent long drives and make positive game-changing plays. And after Tempe... We, we saw it time after time after time after time and time again. Stanford unable to get six points early against Washington State. Stop Max Borgie in between or get a first down late. Stanford unable to stop Washington's pitiful ground game or get a late first down. Stanford completely collapsing in all phases of the game against Utah. Stanford lacking a functional offense against Oregon State. Stanford blowing early scoring opportunities, then giving up big play after big play after big play against the Bears. And Stanford just completely overmatched by Notre Dame. It's hard to remember the high points that we saw early in the season against USC and Oregon in particular. When the offense looked confident, dangerous, and aggressive. And when the defense was was coming up with big plays, big turnovers, it's hard to remember those high points when they're buried underneath all of that, all of the other stuff that we saw the final seven games of the year. Before the Notre Dame game, uh, somebody asked me, I was doing a radio hit, uh, I was appearing on somebody's show, and, and someone asked me if there was something that that the Stanford team can hang its hat on for this season. And believe it or not, I actually didn't have to think about it for, for that long. It's the quarterback, right? It's the quarterback. And, and for a time, the case could be made that Tanner McKee might have been the best quarterback in the Pac-12. I mean, you, 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 might, you might remember uh, Stuart Mandela, the athletic, feeling that way when, when he joined us on the show after the Oregon game. 
Heck of a passer, for sure. Has some savvy. And if you got a quarterback in the Pac-12, in college football, you can go a long ways. And the guys responded to him when he was taking snaps. You could tell. Is Tanner McKee a finished product? No, no, God, no, no. But overall, you have to like the trajectory that he appears to be on. So that was my big takeaway of something that this team and this program can hang its hat on for this season. It discovered that it had a quarterback. And he'll get help from his skill, guys. Wide receivers and running backs should be fine. We'll see which ones return for the upcoming season. And I think a relatively similar situation on defense. The the defensive backs could be good. We'll see if if Caillou Blue Kelly perhaps makes a decision or not. And, and this team certainly missed Jonathan McGill. It would be great to have him back. So the skill positions, I think, could largely still be in good shape for 2022. I, I think the skill positions are, for the most part, looking pretty good. The lines... The lines. Oh, boy. The offensive line and the defensive lines for Stanford. Strange as it may sound, I actually feel better about the offensive line going forward because we've at least seen that offensive line be productive. Granted, that was in 2020, and that's the season that people like to conveniently forget ever happened. But I've seen what it looks like when Walter Rouse and Branson Bragg and Jake Hornerbrook, Barrett Miller, and even Miles Hinton are playing well and helping Stanford get it done on the ground and actually moving people. I've actually seen it happen. Would have been nice to have seen that in 2021. But as it was, for whatever reasons, we, we saw this year a line that just wasn't strong enough to maul guys at the line of scrimmage, not quick enough to, to to get up to the second level and harass the linebackers and and not agile enough to handle guys off the edge. It's a bad combination. And defensively, I mean, my God, the front seven was a big question mark entering this season. It's an even bigger question mark, I think, heading into next season. At least entering this year, you you could point to and say, hey, look, Thomas Booker, Dalen Wade Perry, Ryan Johnson, They're coming back. They're veterans. They know the deal. At least you could point to that. Can't do that next year. Those three dudes are gone. Along with a few other guys who saw playing time this year. This defense really missed Stephen Heron, by the way, the outside linebacker who I don't believe played past the Washington game, if memory serves me correctly. But but he, he did a better job of setting the edge and making plays from the edge. Uh, it was noticeable after, after Heron was 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 knocked out, uh, as it turned out for the season anyway. Um, it, it was noticeable how how much things seemed to deteriorate for Stanford defensively. But why did the season end this way? Why did the season come crashing down? Was it scheme? Was it injuries and availability issues? Was it personnel? Now, of course, it was all three, right? We're working in concert together. That being said, slide edge to, to injuries and availability to be sure because that certainly affected the personnel that was available in any given week. Remember when Stanford went to that UCLA game basically without a running back room? 
And when that affects the personnel, that affects the scheme. That affects certain things that you might be able to do and to emphasize based on who's out there. Your, your, your game plan is going to look a little different when you have Silas Starr and Jason Raines out there at wide receiver than it might when you have John Humphreys and Elijah Higgins and Bryson Tremaine. Defense never had its secondary fully intact until the season was basically over, and even then, inside linebacker spent the season in various shades of health, and the offense really missed Bryson Tremaine and E.J. Smith and Casey Filkins. How much more unpredictable would this offense have been with Smith and Filkins? Those two guys could have brought some big-time facets and had some fun wrinkles to this offense. But blaming all of this season's problems on injuries, of which there were many, ignores the problems that, that Stanford had in those other two areas, scheme and personnel. I mean, at times, Stanford seemed to be out-schemed on both sides of the ball at various times throughout the year. Specifics? Okay, let me take you back to Washington State. Ricky Miazon, Levani DeMuni having field days in the first quarter. They were making Wazoo's quarterback, Jaden DeLara, look absolutely foolish. They were stuffing Max Borgie. My goodness, it looked like it was about to be the tree fence all over again. They were running roughshod from the inside linebacker spots. So, what does Washington State do? They started lining up the formation that forced one of those inside linebackers out of the box and into coverage. That meant one less tackler in the box to stop Max Borgie on running plays. And it also meant an inside linebacker, more often than not Miazon, was covering a wide receiver or a running back. That's going to be a mismatch guaranteed. As we talked about in the, 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 the show after that game, Washington State won that chess match. And once they made that move, that game took a turn from which Stanford never really recovered, even though they were up 13-0 when the Cougs made that move. Stanford got out-schemed that day. As for personnel, the teams that Stanford fielded, especially the final five games of the season, did not look strong enough, fast enough, or physical enough. Now, a lot of that's what happens when you get too far down the depth chart, but, but still, pretty jarring. Pretty jarring stuff. Injuries, scheme, personnel. So what happens next? We'll get into that in just a moment. But first, this note. You can say goodbye to dull gifts. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the brightest gift of the year. Using cutting-edge technology and innovative techniques, they've cracked the science of sparkle, creating the highest quality lab-grown diamonds you can find at a light price, 800 bucks per carat. They have the same chemical makeup of natural diamonds, but, but they're just grown in the lab. Because of their process, they can create stones in blush pink and beautiful blue as well as classic white. Lightbox lab-grown diamonds are the gift they'll never want to take off, priced so that they won't have to. They really do make any outfit sparkle. So visit lightboxjewelry.com and add sparkle to your holiday shopping. That's lightboxjewelry.com. Lightbox diamonds, never a dull moment. All right, back back to the 
matter at hand here. We're talking Stanford football. And now, you know, with the season done, with the problems identified, now what? Now what happens? Well, let's start here. Shaw's not going anywhere. Unless he wants to. I'd be surprised if he wants to. Nothing to indicate to me that that's even a thought in his mind. And there's nothing to indicate to me that the folks in the office is bigger than his are interested in making a move on Shaw. So it's really, it's, it's really not worth going into it any deeper than that. So we'll leave that there. A couple of weeks ago, I asked uh, David Shaw uh, what solutions could be done in season to win games now and what solutions might have to wait until the offseason. And we saw some of those in-season solutions. Defensively, uh, Stanford went to a four-man front with mixed results. And offensively, Stanford probably did the best that it could, especially considering that his fifth-string quarterback was taking real, live, competitive snaps at one point. So we saw some adjustments by Stanford in the final weeks as it tried, unfortunately, unsuccessfully, to, uh, to stem the tide. But, and I thought this a few weeks ago, and said as much on this show, the real solutions were going to have to come after the season, in the offseason. So with that in mind, during David Shaw's weekly media Zoom last week, I asked him a simple question with a complicated answer. Our exchange runs about three minutes or so, but but here it is in its entirety. What's the initial look at the to-do list uh, for the coaching staff, for the program, uh, to already get ready for 2022? <laughs> the to-do list is as long as you think it is. Um, uh, but the mode is really twofold. Um, one is never lowering our expectations. We will not. I will not be a part of that, and I will not be a part of this program. Um, we expect to compete for, compete for Pac-12 championships as we have. Um, but number two, really, you know, doing a deep dive with a lot of different things, both in process and structure. Um, as I said early on, I look around, I look at our football team, and we got some guys. Um, got a lot of guys that are banged up, a lot of guys maybe not playing 100%, maybe not maybe, a lot of guys not playing 100%. Um, get four guys at any given time on the field that are playing in, in some modified casts. Um, so I like who we have. Um, we've tweaked our structure on the defensive side. We'll have, you know, a lot of deep dive conversations, me and coach Anderson uh, throughout the, the off season. Um, cause we have a history here, uh, not just of winning championships. Uh, but we have a history of playing great defense and, um, you know, we, we've got to tweak that structure. Um, you know, for a decade, we're tops in the nation, not second, but tops in the nation in sacks, high up in TFLs, high up in turnovers. Um, and now getting that swagger back. And we believe we've got guys on this football team uh, that can help us do that. Um, so uh, the really the, the mode is to really look at everything that we're doing, utilizing the skills and abilities of our players. Um, but also getting back to being very, very physical and aggressive on both sides of the ball. Um, we've run the ball um, efficiently at times, uh, but not as consistently as we're capable of. 
Um, you know, part of it is really finding that rhythm with with our with our guys. And we've had some lineup changes and um, some different things. I think Coach Heffern has brought some great things to us. Um, and I'm I'm going to be excited to see you know year two with with those things that we're doing. So um, the, the to this is, is it's pretty long, but the mode really is for us to. Um, I hate the, the word identity because we're going to be whatever we need to be, uh, whatever our guys do best. Um, but that's really what the offseason is going to be about. Um, you know, me looking at a lot of things that I've done, um, what works now, what didn't work, uh, what needs to work, um, and uh, getting back to the business of, you know, being uh, one of the winningest programs in the country. All right, that's David Shaw during his weekly media Zoom uh, last week when I asked him what the offseason to do list was. Uh, for the Cardinal, and obviously a lot to unpack there, um, especially the the deep dive on process and structure part and the identity part. I want to focus on those two things. Does the process and structure part of it mean making changes to the coaching staff? Well, in that answer, Shaw mentioned two assistants by name. Defensive coordinator, I'm sorry, the the Willie Shaw director of defense, Lance Anderson, and offensive line coach Terry Heffernan. Offensive line was, in my mind, the most disappointing position group on the field for Stanford this year. Probably by far. I'm not nuanced enough in offensive line play to tell whether scheme was the big problem there or what, but certainly a lot of whiffs and a lot of missed blocks and a lot of guys watching defensive linemen and linebackers sprint into Stanford's backfield completely unimpeded, skipping through like Homer Simpson, skipping through the land of chocolate. And we all just saw the defense just simply disintegrate from view and disappear at times. So Shaw mentioned both of those coaches by name, and he spoke about them like they'll be back in 22. So, as I say this on Sunday night, I'm not sure if Shaw will be making any changes to his staff or if any will be made for him. I mean, look, sometimes coaches go elsewhere on their own. Sometimes that happens. And I I go back to what Shaw said a couple weeks ago after the Utah game when he was asked about other programs firing their assistants in the middle of the season, as Oregon State did, as Washington did, uh, as Florida did. And when Shaw was asked about that, he said, and I'm paraphrasing here, when times get tough, we don't push people out the door. We bring them closer together. All right, well, part of me thinks that might be easier to say in season when you're more concerned about trying to win on Saturday (laughs) and fuel the team for that week than you are about big picture stuff, which you can finally put your full focus on once the season actually ends. But now that the offseason is here, does that still apply? Not sure. And what does a deep dive on process and structure mean on the offensive side of the ball? I would imagine, again, I'm not privy to coaches' meetings. I'm not privy to the conversations that Shaw is having inside and outside of the program, as I'm sure that he is seeking counsel outside of the program. I'm not privy to what his entire and complete thought process is, but I would imagine that 
That means a look at the play calling process from what plays make the cut for each game plan to who actually calls the plays. As of right now, that's David Shaw. By the way, for whatever it's worth, play calling the process actually seemed to run fairly smoothly for the most part this year. I mean, it kind of become a trademark, you know, for Stanford football where many times the play clock would would just tick, 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 oh, timeout, or delay a game. That didn't really seem to happen anywhere near, with anywhere near the regularity that it that it had been happening in previous years under the current process and structure and play calling. So that's something to consider. Process and structure also includes recruiting too. I don't need to tell you this. I mean, you've seen the headlines. College football landscape and the Pac-12 landscape is evolving and reinventing itself seemingly every single day. And the transfer portal, great option for other programs, not really a serious option for Stanford. Just doesn't work that way for the Cardinal. Just doesn't work that way at Stanford University. You might be able to get a guy or two in the grad portal, as Stanford was able to do with Isaiah Sanders. Maybe, maybe, but that's it. So since you can't raid the transfer portal, it's on the coaches to coach him up. Shaw has said this, by the way, and he hasn't shied away from it. He hasn't shied away from that. So that's the process and structure part of it to me. As for the identity part, does this mean an end to the intellectual brutality brand that Stanford's taken so much pride in over the years and that has seemed to define this program on a national basis? Well, I'd argue that the shift away from the emphasis on intellectual brutality actually happened three seasons ago. I, I'd argue that that ship has already sailed. 2019, when Stanford barely had enough offensive linemen to take the field every week, and the guys who could take the field were freshmen who just were not strong enough. Running the ball with that young, unseasoned line just wasn't an option. This was not an option. Intellectual brutality was not an option that year. So it was up to K.J. Costello and Davis Mills to move the ball. And for the most part, they did the best they could. Mills threw for 504 yards against Washington State that year. And Stanford started big game that season by throwing it on 15 of its first 17 plays. Neither of those instances would ever be mistaken for intellectual brutality. And even in 2020, the season that most folks seem to have conveniently forgotten about, Stanford's offense wasn't focused on a brutally physical run game even though we saw signs of it that year, it was focused on Davis Mills. This year, intellectual brutality wasn't a thing. Partly because Stanford had a quarterback and wide receivers who could make explosive plays, so partly by design, but mostly because the offensive line just was not there. Was not there. So when Shaw says, we're going to be whatever we need to be, that could mean more of an offensive emphasis on the quarterback who can sling the rock and the wide receivers 
who can catch the rock and run with it, and guys like E.J. Smith and Casey Filkins, who can do so many things. Oh, and Austin Jones, I'd throw him in that category too. And I'm okay with that. That's fine with me. For the most part. And it's pretty much in line with what we've already seen from Stanford since 2019. Now, all that being said, make no mistake, Stanford will not win on offense unless it runs the ball at least well enough to hold on to leads. That might have to be the definition of intellectual brutality going forward. Not necessarily just six, seven, sometimes eight offensive linemen at a time just leaning on you until you fall over. Just run the ball well enough to get first downs in the fourth quarter. That might have to be the the definition of intellectual, uh, intellectual brutality. And when David Shaw says he likes who he has, okay, by and large, I think he's right. And I think he's got good reason to. And I've heard folks comparing this season to the dark ages when it was Buddy Tevens on the sidelines and Walt Harris was on the scene. And, well, you know, I mean, that comparison, I think, is accurate only on the scoreboard. The talent, by and large, is not comparable. I think it's much better in 2021 than it was in, oh, say, 2004, 2005. I think it's much better. And much better everywhere except the lines, which is kind of a big thing, kind of a big deal. So I don't know what the exact answers are. And, and in my yammering on, I've probably only just scratched the surface of what the questions are. But I can tell you that Stanford must hit the weight room and get stronger immediately, especially in the trenches. Stanford cannot make any big strides towards where it needs to go until that happens, period. They must get stronger. That is non-negotiable. We've already talked about Stanford's ongoing shift in the offensive scheme. Evolution, if you want to call it that. Okay, I'm I'm right there with you. But defensively, I'd love to see Stanford consistently be more aggressive and have more of an attacking style. We've seen this from Lance Anderson. We saw it at times early in the season when he would send defensive backs in on blitzes and do a bit more to kind of change things up and confuse quarterbacks out and out. We saw it at times early in the season. And certainly we've seen it throughout Anderson's tenure as defensive coordinator, particularly when he had the personnel to pull it off with Solomon Thomas and Justin Reed and Harrison Phillips and those dudes. Shaw did specifically mention getting back to the top of the list in sacks, tackles for loss, and turnovers. What's the best way to do that, perhaps? Force the issue. Blitz, pressure, bring guys. Confuse the quarterback as best you can. Hit the quarterback as often as you can. Maybe you give up a big play. But then again, Stanford certainly spent much of this season giving up big plays and long drives anyway. So those are two solutions that I would 
certainly explore. That being said, those two solutions aren't going to solve everything. And and again, I'm sure I'm sure there are a lot more things that need to be addressed within the program from a process and structure standpoint than we've than I've brought up here. But I'd imagine those will be two great places to start. Critical times ahead, man. Critical times ahead for Stanford football. Uh, recruiting's getting back into full swing uh, before the early signing day on December 15th. Uh, 2022's non-conference schedule. You got Colgate in the opener on September 3rd. Then at Notre Dame in mid-October and BYU at home to finish. That could be a big test. It's an even year schedule next year, so it's 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 a bit more road heavy in the Pac-12. You got plane trips to Oregon and Washington. You got a bus ride to Cal. Then again, given how well Oregon State and Washington State have played overall this year, maybe it's good to have them at home next year. Maybe that's a good thing. And we can bank on USC at Stanford early on, probably on September 10th in week two. Hey, did USC find a head coach yet? Oh, they did. Who'd they get? Wait, what? You serious? Him? Oh. Lots of hard questions. And there may not be many easy answers. But 2022 is going to be a very telling season. Whether it's a winning season, or hell, even a fun season. That's... That's largely going to depend on the answers David Shaw and the program come up with in the weeks and the months ahead. It'll also help if guys stay healthy, too, right? Can can we please, please get a little better luck in that department? (laughs) Oh, man. From Andrew Luck to Buzzard Luck. (laughs) Better days ahead. Better days ahead despite all the things that this program has had to go through, and I'll, I'll stretch it back even beyond this season, stretch it back to, to last season as well. Uh, I, I have a feeling better days are ahead for this program. And this was, it's not going to go down as my favorite season of the 29 that I've, I, I've covered for Stanford football so far, but uh, it's always a pleasure to, 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 to do these Stanford football game days or, are always sacred to me. They're my favorite days of the year. And I'm stunned that the season went by as quickly as it seemed to. And in some ways, bummed that it's over, but in other ways, everyone just take a step back, get a fresh, and hit it hard for 2022. As always, I welcome your thoughts on anything that we discuss on the TreeCast, anything that's happening within Stanford Athletics. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast via Twitter. You can give me the follow on Twitter as well. At Troy Clarity. The last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y. Now that we are out of the football season, we're going to go back to an irregular posting schedule. So when's our next time that we're going to chat? Honestly, right now, I don't know. Might not be until after the first of the year. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. But we'll go to an irregular posting schedule. Um, Could mean a show every other week or so. I don't know. I don't know. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh, The best way to stay on top of the TreeCast is to uh, subscribe to it. 
via your favorite listening app. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, and all those folks. Subscribe to the show and enjoy the show. We try to have some fun with this. <laughs> uh, even when sometimes the things we're talking about aren't quite so fun. But super thankful for those of you who have latched on to the show, have supported the program, been a part of the show. We started doing these in the 2015 season. Boy, that that was a that was a fun year. And joined the Believe Podcast Network in March of 2020. Went through the pandemic, the the shutdown, and still was able to bring you content every single week all throughout that. And that was challenging but fun. And that might also describe the 2021 football season on the TreeCast as well. Challenging, but still fun. Still fun. And looking forward to talking to you next time. Don't drink and drive. If you do, you're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Stay sane. Back the pack and back the vac. Get that booster. Get that booster. And we'll talk to you next time. Whenever that might be. On the TreeCast with Troy Clarity. On the Believe Podcast Network. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.